Yeah, and you thought the real heroes were at the movie theaters, right? But no, they're right here at Hope Covenant Church. We continue our series of messages on heroes. And we saw last week that Abraham was our hero number one, uh, was used by God in spite of his warts, in spite of his failures, in spite of his disobedience. It's like God said something like this. Now, Abraham, listen. Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go this way, and if you go this way, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a son, even though you and your wife are 65 and 75. I'm going to give you a son, and you will have many children and grandchildren, and uh, they, they will cover the earth, and through your lineage will come the Messiah. That's what I'm going to do for you. And what I want you to do is just be obedient to me. Follow my lead. And so Abraham said, okay, sure, I'll do that. And then after his first test, instead of Abraham saying, I'm going to go this way, Abraham said, no, I think I'm going to go this way. And what we talked about last week that was that when God gives you a test and you either fail it or you fail to take it, he'll give you a makeup test. And makeup tests are always, what, harder than the original. And if you, make, you don't make up that test, you'll have another makeup test, and finally, you'll have a final exam. And so we learned from uh, last week from Abraham that this way, his way, Abraham's way, is not as good as God's way. And finally, he was obedient. And the scripture tells us, and Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was not a hero because... He was good or righteous. He was righteous because he believed. Let me say that again. He was not a hero because he was good or righteous, because he was not. He was righteous because he believed in God. Our next hero that we're looking at today is a hero with an attitude. His name is Joseph. And Joseph is a young man, a 17-year-old, had a serious attitude problem. Now, do any of you know anyone who has an attitude problem? Okay, yeah. Uh, now, don't point to the person sitting next to you, but there's a good chance that you're, that's what you're, you're thinking of, right? We know people that are Bart Simpson, right? We know people with an attitude. In fact, in our first service, we had all of our teenagers, and when they were out of the room, I said, every teenager has an attitude, every single one of them. So we know about attitudes. So here's what Paul said. Uh, Paul said, now, I, I want you, what you're going to experience when you come to Christ is you're going to experience a transformation in your life. You're going to stop seeing things the same way. Uh, you're going to see people differently. You're going to see that, them now through the eyes of God. You're going to see situations differently because now you're going to see those situations through the eyes of God. You're going to have the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ. That's the goal of every Christ follower, to have the mind of Christ and a heart for, of Christ. And he said, one of the key ways, God says, one of the key ways that I change you and transform you is through your attitude. Okay? Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 20 to 24. And before we read this, I always want to remind you of what? Okay. Thank you, seven people here. What about the rest of you? Every week I want to remind you what? Read your Bibles. And listen, you will never find a book like this. This is incredible. This has the most amazing stories, the most amazing truth. This will transform your life 
Read your Bibles. Now, uh, the text that I want to begin with this morning is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. Here Paul is saying, listen, you're going to be transformed by the power of Jesus. And when you're transformed, there's a couple of ways that I really work on. I really need you to pay attention to. So listen to this text. This is the word of God for the people of God. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, Throw off your old sinful nature. In other words, get rid of that old, the old clothes. Turn off your, uh, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. That's what Anthony was talking about before. You throw off your old way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, verse 23, let the Spirit renew your what? Two ways, your thoughts and your attitudes. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and and your attitudes put on a new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. God's plan for our lives is that we are transformed by His Spirit. And the two chief ways He transforms us is through our minds and our attitudes. Now, the best example of someone with an attitude that really altered his life course was a young man by the name of Joseph. Now, Joseph, when you think of Joseph, you think of a, uh, you know, a guy that did a lot of amazing things. He later became, a, you know, the prince of Egypt. Uh, he later became a great leader in the world, and he did this all from a position of a slave to start with. So he had an incredible life. But what you want to remember is that he started out his life with a serious attitude problem, like other 17-year-olds, right? A serious attitude attitude problem. So let's look and see how the story unfolds. Now, I'm going to read you the first section, and then uh, I'm going to tell you a lot of the story um, that you can always check it out. Uh, the story, the whole story of Joseph is uh, Genesis chapter 37 through chapter 50, 14 chapters. It's an amazing story. I mean, James Patterson has nothing. I mean, this is real stuff. This is real story. So um, let me begin by reading chapter 37. Uh, verses 1, or excuse me, uh, chapter 37, uh, verses, where am I at? Where'd my notes go? There we are. Okay. Uh, yeah, chapter 37, there it is, chap verses 1 through 11. Genesis 37, 1 through 11. This is the story of Joseph. So Jacob, Jacob was his father. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Jacob was Joseph, Joseph's father. So Jacob's, Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. So far, so good, right? He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But listen to this. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Okay, the first problem is he's a tattletale, right? He's got 11 brothers, and he goes to dad. Daddy, do you know what Benjamin did? Do you know what Reuben did? You know, do you know what these guys did? And he was a tattletale, okay? So that's the first problem. Verse 3, Jacob loved jo Joseph more than any of other, uh, his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. Let me stop right there. Parents, you may have a favorite, but don't let them know it, okay? <laughs> Jacob let him know it, and that was a problem. Listen, and then... Um, uh, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. 
So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night, Joseph had a dream. So, so far, we got a couple of problems, uh, right? He's a tattletale. His father shows preference. Listen to this next thing. One night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field. Now, he's got his brothers gathered around him. I'm going to tell you a story about a dream I had. Uh, we were gathered, we, brothers, were gathered, uh, uh, let's see, uh, we were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle, Joseph said, stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. Joseph said, isn't that a great story? And they're going, are you kidding me? Are you ki-? Listen to what else he says. His brothers responded, so you think you'll be king over us? Do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. It wasn't just his dreams, but and the way he talked about them. Verse 9, soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. I'm sure they're saying, oh great, what's this going to be about? And he said, the sun, moon, and 11 stars, hmm, 11 brothers, 11 stars. Uh, Sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Sounds like a father, doesn't it? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams were meant. So this young man has a serious, serious attitude problem. Now, there's a couple reasons um, why he had an attitude. One, the Bible says, and I'll, we'll get to this a little bit later, uh, he was the favorite son of Jacob, so that kind of gave him special feeling that he was special. And then later in the text, in verse chapter 39, it says that he was well-built and handsome. You guys know anybody like that? You know, kind of the fair-haired guy, the, the guy that's smart and good-looking and a good athlete and popular and all that. You know, uh, can you say, you know, Johnny Manziel or a few years ago, Matt Leiner? You know, the, they've got everything going for them, and, and yet there's something missing. And these kind of people, these silver spoon in the mouth, these kind of people that are entitled, uh, these people have attitudes, and none of us, especially the 11 brothers, none of us like that attitude. So what were the results of his attitude? Well, he was a tattletale, for one thing. He got a special coat. Now, that special coat was the kind of coat that was used to drape over gods and goddesses in temples. Okay, so it was very special. And in this case, the coat was designed to, be, to go to the firstborn. In other words, uh, this coat was to identify you as the heir of Jacob. Now, that should have been the firstborn. But instead, it's going to Joseph who wasn't, uh, Benjamin was the youngest, so Joseph was probably the second to the youngest, but it belonged to Reuben, it belonged to the firstborn, not to this guy, and yet he had a special coat. And then he had these two dreams. One dream, uh, you know, the sheaves all bow down to me. The other dream, sun, moon, stars, everything, the universe, even God bends down to me, and this kid had a serious ego problem. I'm sure that the brothers 
felt like they wanted to just never see him again. And we'll see that a little bit later in the story. His spirit was, I'm special, Lottie D. I'm the favorite, look at me. You know, that kind of a guy. But that kind of attitude has serious repercussions. So let me tell you a little bit more of the story. The scripture tells us that Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. So there was this, this jealousy factor that was happening. He was also, as you heard from the text, he was hated by his brothers because of his attitude problem. Like, I'm the greatest, I'm the king, I'm the most beautiful, I'm the most wonderful, look at me. We all know people like that and we can't stand to be around him. That was Joseph. And then there was this level of resentment, right? And his brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? And they hated him all the more. Here was Joseph, serious problem with attitude, blindly going through life thinking everything is about me. Everything is about glorious me. He sounds like an entitled brat, an entitled teenager. Now, some of you are thinking, uh, yeah, we've got those uh, in our family. <laughs> we've got teenagers in our family. You know, there's something about... Uh, and, and every generation says this, so young people don't blame me, but we're all entitled to say this. We always think that the younger generation is what? Entitled, okay? They hate the E word. They hate consequences, and they hate to be called entitled, but they are. Well, let me give you an example. Uh, Wednesday night, um, I went to the airport to pick up my son and my daughter-in-law. They were in first service, Nathan and Tina, and their four children, Jaden, age 17, Tristan, age 15, McKenna, age 13, Tyler, age 9. And these kids, like all of us, and like your kids, have grown up entitled. Now, that's not a negative thing. What that means is this. If they need something, they get it. If they want something, most of the time, they get it. They were privileged to be born to a wonderful family, your family, they're privileged to be born in the United States of America, a place of freedom. They're privileged to be born uh, with educational opportunities. They have all of these things going for them, and somehow yet they still think that they are deserving of all of that. I am great. I am wonderful. Now, my four grandkids' father, my son Nathan, had a serious attitude problem when he was 17. And now guess what he's complaining to me about? His 17-year-old who has a serious attitude problem. We're all entitled. So here's a solution that grandparents come up with. So they get here. Uh, Nathan and Tina immediately go up north uh, to Bob Brown's place to play golf and to just get away for a couple of days. They want to get away from their four kids. Can I hear an amen? Okay, yeah, we all know what that feels like. And we're happy to do it. We're the grandparents, right? We're happy to do it. So they go off, and Sherry and I have the kids. Well, Sherry's idea was this. Let's take, let's. I'm going to take all four grandchildren to the Navajo Reservation to be with these orphans, right? And we think about, this is perfect. Because I've always believed that every child that turns 13 should be dropped in a third world country for a month. Just deal with it. Figure it out. Figure out you're not all that. <laughs> Figure out that you've got all the privileges. Why should you act like it's all about you, right? And, and so our grandkids, even as we speak, are up at the Navajo Nation, and they have been ministering to these children. Now, these children in the Navajo Nation, guess what? It's not that they don't have good shoes. You know, they don't have... Air Jordans or the best Nikes or the newest shoes. It's not that they don't have good shoes. They don't have parents. They have nothing. They have no resources. 
They come to this orphanage because, quite honestly, nobody else wants them. These kids are just surviving, and what we wanted for our grandchildren is to see how those children live and how to react to those children and how to realize that, wow, I should be so grateful and thankful for all I have because look at them and learn how to be compassionate and loving and grace-filled to those other children. Joseph needed a lesson like that. Now, I'm sure Joseph, looking back, would have said, I would have been happy to go to the Navajo Nation for a weekend. Instead, he has the next 12 years in humility school of hard knocks, right? Brought on by himself, so his attitude is going to get big time adjusted because he is Joseph and he thinks he's all that. So here's the adjustment. So here's what happens. Um, Joseph is out looking for his brothers and uh, can't find him. And uh, somebody says, hey, I saw him over at this other town. So they went, went over to the other town, and the brothers saw him coming, and they said, you know what? Joseph is just driving us nuts. So what are we going to do? And the brothers said, let's kill him. Let's kill him. Let's just kill him and, 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 and tell dad and take his coat off and put some blood on it and say, hey, a lion killed, you know, attacked him, and, and let's just kill the guy. And so uh, the oldest brother, Reuben, said, nah, I'm not sure that's a great plan. Reuben at least showed a little compassion. He said, let's don't kill him. Let's throw him into this deep well and just let him rot in there and he'll die from starvation. Now Reuben's idea, his plan was to go back later and rescue Joseph, but the other brothers didn't know that. So they're figuring out how to get rid of Joseph and then comes along a caravan on camelback of Ishmaelites heading to Egypt to trade. So the Ishmaelites come along and the brothers have a great idea. This shows great compassion, right, for their little brother. Hey, let's do this. Instead of killing him, because that'll get blood on our hands, and nobody wants blood on their hands, instead of killing him, why don't we sell him to the Ishmaelites? And uh, we'll get some money out of this and get rid of him all at the same time. That's pretty compassionate, isn't it? No, they just wanted a buck, you know. Uh, instead of killing him, they said, we'll just get some money out of this. So they sold him to the Ishmaelites, takes off, they get some money, all's good. Next thing that happens uh, so, so, so all of a sudden, Joseph is cast into this school of humility. He's no longer the big cheese. He's no longer the shining star. He's no longer the one that everybody's bowing down to. Now guess what? He bows down to the Egyptians. Ishmaelites take him to Egypt, sell him to Potiphar, who was one of um, uh, Pharaoh's chief executive officers, sells him to Potiphar, and he becomes a servant, a slave, a nobody. So the school of hard knocks begins. But because of his resourcefulness, and because of his smarts, and probably because he was a good-looking kid and all of that, he rose up in the house of Potiphar. He got a better position, a better position. Finally, he was running the household for Potiphar. So he's doing pretty well of himself. So then another test comes up. Remember with Abraham, if you fail one test or if you skip one test, the next test is even harder. So he's feeling pretty good about himself again, probably not quite as egotistical as he was before, but feeling pretty good about himself. And next, another stumbling block comes up. Potiphar's wife, who's probably younger than Potiphar, Potiphar's probably an ugly old dude, she sees Joseph in her household. I like this guy. I like this kid. You know, and this is probably, he's probably in his mid-20s by now. I like this guy. And so she goes after him, tries to seduce him, and Joseph, to his credit, said, no way, I'm not doing this. 
and he runs away. And I, I told the kids and the first, teenagers in the first service, this is good advice. If you find yourself in a compromising situation, get up and run away. You know, don't be cool about it. Just get up and run. So that's what Joseph did. She tore his robe, the whole deal. Uh, she was embarrassed. She was mortified that somebody turned her down because after all, she was queen of the household, right? And so guess what she told Potiphar? You can bet. She said, he tried to rape me. Joseph tried to rape me. Potiphar was furious, put him in a prison, sat him in there. Here's your school of hard knocks, your school of humility number two. At this point, we find that he really is feeling more and more humble. He's feeling more and more like, man, I can't possibly do this. I, I can't possibly get out of this situation. So there was a couple of people in prison with him, a cupbearer, and you have to read the story to get that whole picture, and a baker. You know, how many bakers go to prison? Well, you know, if you're Pharaoh's baker and he doesn't like what you bake, you go to prison. So he's in there with these two guys, and he's showing compassion and love for these two guys in prison. So already his heart is softening. He's at the school of humility. He's learning that he, if he doesn't trust in God, if he does things his own way, he's always going to fail, just like Abraham learned. And he recognized that, you know what, I've got to put my trust in the Lord. I've got to put my trust in God. And so he was uh, all mixed up in all of that. And then one other thing happened in this school of hard knocks. Potiphar found him in prison. And he found him in prison. Actually, Pharaoh found him in prison because he got to talking to the baker and the cupbearer and they were released. They went back to Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh was finding out about this young man as he was in prison. Here's the thing. God wants us to learn that our lives are about God. That our lives are a gift. We are to be stewards of our lives. We are to be ones who use the gifts and the abilities that God has given us. And by the way, every one of us are completely at the mercy of God. The hands that you have, the brains that you have, the abilities you have, the gifts that you have, the beauty you have, the advantages you have, all of those are a gracious gift from God. If you don't learn that early, like Joseph, you will find yourself in the school of humility, the school of learning that God is your only hope. That's what Joseph needed to learn. In fact, the Bible tells us that if we don't learn this idea of humility, God will find ways to teach us. Listen to these verses. Psalm 25, 9. We read these words. He, God, guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. Psalm 25, 9. Psalm 18, 27. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. So God acknowledges the humble. In fact, the funny, funny thing is, the lower you are, the more you bow down to God, the more he lifts you up. You, are, uh, save, you save the humble. God saves the humble, brings low those whose eyes are haughty. And then in Psalm 149.4, for the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with salvation. Isn't that beautiful? So Joseph had another humbling experience. While he was in prison, God spoke to Pharaoh through these men, through the baker especially. And uh, Pharaoh had a dream. He didn't know what to make of it. His magicians were absolutely of no use whatsoever. And so he's saying to his staff, how can I get somebody to interpret my dream? Well, the baker says, you know what? 
I met this guy in prison, by the way, that you put in prison like two years ago. I met this guy in prison, uh, Pharaoh, and uh, he has a reputation for interpreting dreams. You might want to check him out. His name is Joseph. In fact, you probably remember him. He rose to be the head of Potiphar's household. Pharaoh says, okay, now I kind of remember him. Let's bring him out of prison. And he came and he interpreted his dream. And because of that, he came back in the good graces of Pharaoh. So now we see, after all of the adjustments that were made to his character, to his attitude, we see the aftermath. The school of humility has finally done its work. God wants to change our lives. He wants to know that we are grateful and thankful. We are stewards of what God has given us, but these gifts are from him. And so we simply say to our Father, I know that you can use me. There's a wonderful uh, passage uh, in, uh, back, back to uh, our text in Genesis uh, chapter 41. We read uh, verse 15, uh, these words. Excuse me, 45, 15. Let me get the right text. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm back in the wrong place. Back to uh, 4116, that's it. I've got too many 40s in my head. 4116, we read these words. Here's what Joseph said. It is beyond my power to do this. Uh, Pharaoh says, I want you to interpret my dream. He said, wait a second. It's beyond my power to do this. I can't do that on my own. Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. So you'll notice this amazing transformation. It only took 12 years took Moses 40 years, took Joseph 12 years, took 12 years to change his attitude, change his heart, give him a heart of humility and recognize that only God, I'm as good as God is allowing me to be. And God is the one who's going to interpret that dream. I can't do it. God will do that. So there's this submissive heart to him. From I can do anything, I'm Joseph, I'm the king, to God can do it. It's kind of the opposite attitude to Bart Simpson right, who prayed at Thanksgiving, dear God, we paid for all this stuff ourselves, so thanks for nothing. You know, it's kind of, kind of the opposite of that kind of an attitude. Joseph's remarkable attitude adjustment led to a heroic end to the story. So Joseph regains Pharaoh's confidence. He moves up again in the hierarchy of Egypt and finally finds himself kind of like the comptroller of all of Egypt. He's the uh, CFO of all of Egypt, right? He's over all of the resources, all of the funds. And through his wisdom and his intelligence, he recognizes that there's going to be a, 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 you know, a terrible time coming where there's going to be a drought. And so he's smart. For seven years, he, gave, he puts grain in and saves it. Well, all of the other nations, including Canaan, right? which later became Israel. All of the other nations were not going to have that and they were starving. And so he's in this position of great power and authority, but he's in this position with a heart of humility, a heart of love for God's people, a heart of love for even, get this, his brothers who wanted to kill him. So here's where we find a sympathetic Joseph. Now his brothers deserved revenge. They did. Uh, they deserved to have their comeuppance. But instead, here's the way this story plays out. So Jacob in Canaan, later becomes Israel, uh, says, listen, we're going to go through, we're going to starve to death because we have no food because we didn't plan. But we hear that there's some really smart guy in Egypt 
that uh, knew that a, a famine was coming, and so he, he kept lots of grain, and they have lots of food, and we want you to go there and beg and try and buy some of that food because we're going to die if we don't have it. So Jacob sends these other these brothers, right, over. They don't know that Joseph's in charge of this. They think he's long gone. They think he's dead. And so they go over there. They negotiate. Joseph uh, throws them in jail for a couple of days uh, saying that he thought they were spies. And, and finally, Joseph recognizes who they are. And then they have this beautiful um, time where they come together. Uh, and Joseph says, let me tell you who I am. I am Joseph, your brother. And the Bible tells us that Joseph turned away and he wept uncontrollably. Now you would think that that 17-year-old attitude, if he still had that, he would say, we're not giving you guys any grain. You set me for dead. You guys can go and just figure it out yourselves because you're not getting anything from me. But instead, this man who now recognizes that his only source is God, his only hope is in God, he recognizes that and he offers forgiveness and grace to the very ones who tried to kill him. What a remarkable adjustment to his life. You see, it's always about transformation. We said that during communion. It's always about transformation. If you're like Abraham and say, well, Abraham says go this way, but I'm going to go this way, you're going to be adjusted. If you're like Joseph and God says, listen, I want you to have a humble, godly spirit, and Joseph says, no, I'm, it's all about me, and it's all about what I want and what I want to do, there's going to be an attitude adjustment. God will always, because you know what? He needs these people to be heroes. He needs Joseph to be a hero. And the Bible says that it wasn't just his brothers that received his grace and received food. But literally thousands of people were saved because of Joseph. Thousands of people because he had saved that grain and he freely gave it to other nations and to other countries so that they too could survive. What a remarkable transformation that this young man had. He was a hero, not because of his rise in the kingdom of Egypt, but he was a hero because he submitted to God's plan, finally. He submitted to God's will, finally. And hear this, and I think this is the most important part of the story. He submitted to God's heart for people. Before he used people, now he has a heart for people, for his brothers, for all of those foreigners and strangers that have no grain. He saw them through the eyes of the Father. God takes our messes and redeems them. He takes our feeble efforts and transforms them. Well, there's one last part to the story, and this is my favorite part. Uh, it's in chapter 50, and you've heard me talk about the 50-20 principle many times in our church, and it's something like this. So uh, Joseph is talking to his brothers again, and um, they all recognize that they made a terrible mistake, and they asked Joseph for forgiveness, and of course, Joseph, through his tears, offered forgiveness and grace to them, even though they didn't deserve it. And then listen to what he says. And I'll start at uh, verse 19 of chapter 50. But Joseph replied, Don't be afraid of me. Am I a God that I can punish you? In other words, he said, It's not up to me to punish you. That's, a, that's God's job. Verse 20, speaking to his brothers, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives 
of many people. The most amazing part about your heavenly Father is that he redeems your messes. He redeems your bad attitude. He redeems your saying, you know what, I've got it all together. I've got it under control. Every time God says, listen, I love you. I pursue you. I want you. I grace you. And I want you to extend that grace to others around you. God wants our attitudes to be the attitude of Christ Jesus. Somebody might intend something for evil for you. But God says, listen, here's my promise. I will take that evil and I will turn it upside down and make something good out of it if you surrender your life to me. You matter to me that much. Humility, submission, dependence. Lord Jesus, you are my only hope. Would you bow your heads with me, please?